You're listening to You Play A What, a podcast by a musician for musicians. My name is Vincent and I play the euphonium. Join me as I sit down with successful musicians to talk about their specialization, inspirations, and career developments. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to episode 22 of You Play A What. I hope all of you are doing well. My guest today is no stranger to the music scene. Well, actually, to be honest, all of my guests are no strangers to the music scene. So uh, my guest today is Michelina, a saxophone extraordinaire, colleague, friend, and a returning guest to the podcast. Uh, the conversation that I had with uh, Mish was really nice. She just has so much positivity in her outlook. And I think that this is really a nice balance with me. Uh, in this episode, she dropped some really quite personal issues that she holds very close to her heart. To be absolutely honest, it did catch me off guard and I didn't know how to react at that point of time. Uh, you would think that after 20 odd episodes, I would have learned a thing or two about this, but no. <laughs> so I uh, just want to say it here. Thank you so much for sharing these deeply personal experiences with all of us, Mish. I, for one, truly, truly appreciate it. So thank you so much once again. Now, uh, some exciting news regarding the next few weeks. Uh, some of you might know that the quartet that Mish, Daniel, Don, and I are involved in called Cole is currently preparing for our upcoming project called Oral Bites, a musical omakase in which we commission a few Singaporean composers to write for us as part of our DPG uh, digital presentation grant presented by the National Arts Council. So uh, I will be speaking to all of the composers over the next few weeks, individually, of course, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, so keep an eye out for the release of these pieces. I'm sure it'll be a treat. Okay, so enough rambling from me now. Thank you once again for tuning in and thank you ever so much for your attention. And now, please enjoy this episode of You Play A What? with Michelina. My guest today has just an incredible love for music and what she does more so than anyone that I know. She has been back in Singapore for about a year and she has created quite a ruckus since her return and I mean that in the best possible way. Welcome to the show, Michelina. How are you doing today? Thank you, Vincent. What an introduction. Ruckus. I'm not sure that, that you will use this word to describe me. <laughs> you know, I think there's lots of uh, positive impact since uh, oh, you have made a lot of positive impact since your return uh, from my point of view anyway I'm sure you do try to make these sort of positive changes mm, I think we're all trying yeah mm. so yeah thank you so much for coming back to the podcast and I'm glad that the first time around it didn't quite scare you away and you still <laughs> said yes for a second time uh, as much as you might have a tinge of regret at the moment it's a little bit too late <laughs> thank you for having learning. me <laughs> Yeah, so we're pushed. Yeah, we're pushed through the next uh, 60, 50, 60 minutes or so. So, um, you know, I think you and I, we have been working together quite closely for the last one year with the quartet. Hmm. Uh, we, we do talk about different topics, sometimes regarding our work, sometimes regarding uh, life in general, uh, somewhat often. And today it's just going to be on record. Right, so yeah, we always say that we want we should record these conversations to put them down in a podcast. But so here we are. <laughs> yeah, and now it's actually happening, right? So I think exactly. uh, it's going to be a a fantastic chat. So you know, you've been back in Singapore for 
just over a year now. And it's kind of weird for me to say that because I feel like you've been back longer. Mm. So I'm not really <laughs> sure if that's a good thing or not. But it just feels like you've been back longer than a year. I think, you know, going back to the first time that I heard you play back in Singapore uh, in a solo recital, which mm. was, I think, August of 2019. That's right. Yeah, at the uh, Singapore Saxophone Symposium, where you played all four of the conventional saxophones, which I think I thought was like pretty brave and pretty interesting. <laughs> so uh, if my memory serves me right, out of the four pieces you played, I only remember three of them. I think you did a sort piece yes. called Firefly. That is right. Fireflies. Tenor sax piece called Jeek by Daniel Bonaventure Lim. Yes. And then, of course, you did the Antrushkin uh, duo with mm. uh, Daniel Yao on bass clarinet. And I, I feel like I can sing that melody already. If it's a little <laughs> bit more tuneful, maybe I can sing it, but I still can't. Please uh, try. <laughs> 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 yeah. Uh, so, uh, remind us, what do you play on the alto? Denisov. Concerto. Is, uh, no, this is the sonata. Ah, uh, okay. And uh, it was, it's actually a pretty standard piece for the saxophone. Mm. And uh, yeah, a lot of takadimi, a lot of, uh, you know, this cross rhythm kind of patterns. Really, really cool piece. You should check it out. Again. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I think, you know, it's also quite interesting because, um, of course, all four pieces are quite different from mm. each other. And I kind of remembered the more unconventional ones. <laughs> I don't know, was it by chance or, or what? But um, the Denisov that you played was with piano. So I remembered that your auto piece was, was with piano. Yep, yep, yep. And it right. was sort of like the, the most conventional setup, right? Because for the sort piece, you were kind of weaving in and out of the audience. Yes. And then the, the jig, you collaborated with uh, your close friend, Valerie, which is a contemporary dancer. Yes. Yeah, and then the Intrushkin was a duo. Mm. And all of it was kind of giving the audience like slightly different sort of experience. So, you know, br uh, bring us back to that particular recital. How did you come up with the program? And how did you decide how to set the, the stage or the area of the performance because it's a little bit unconventional, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah, I think uh, that performance was pretty much inspired by the one that I did for my master's final exam. So in that mm. exam, I played uh, soprano alto, but not kind of very. But yeah, so so I wanted to, you know, bring together people that I really enjoy working with and then, you know, sharing that in an unconventional kind of setting, you know, throw the audience apart, uh, Throw the audience off a little bit. Um, mm. So I wanted the people to be on stage. I wanted this to be more intimate, to have the audience, you know, feel what it's like to be on stage as well. And so, yeah, the, the audience were all on stage. So I had like a 10-minute, like, intermission kind of thing between the previous performance and this one. So I had, like, you know, mm. got all my friends to help set up the stage. It was pretty, yeah. pretty crazy, you know, just like mm. running around, throwing chairs everywhere, and then like, you know, putting sex phones on all four corners. Yeah, so we started, we, I, no, I wanted to, to do like a timing kind of pattern, so it was in a clockwise, I think, if I don't remember wrongly, or mm. a clockwise kind of pattern, where I started on soprano one side, and then, you know, we just traveled, or I just traveled across, around the room, around the stage, yeah. actually, yeah. Yeah, so from basically stage left, going clockwise, exactly. isn't it? Exactly. Yeah, from the sop down to the alto, to tenor, and then to the baritone. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, I, what I felt about that performance, of course, you know, I've known about you, mm. but I've not really heard you play, like, up close, a solo recital, because I haven't had the chance. Mm. And that, that was really the first time listening to you play. And I thought that, you know, the, the program is innovative. Okay. It was engaging. And it really showcased this idea that as a saxophonist, you don't really have to just play one instrument. Mm. And yeah, in fact, you shouldn't. Or, you know, is it normal that, say, uh, people just play out of the four conventional ones, right? Mm. People just play maybe two. Mm, depends on where you are, I guess. Mm. Like, with where I've studied, like in France, definitely it was, you know, 
encourage more than encourage for people to play like you know all four saxophones to play solo mm. pieces on all four and to switch between con- like in the same concert to switch between saxophones right in mm. Australia I found it you know people were like uh, specializing in like say baritone saxophone because I have I have peers who just you know really really worked super hard on the baritone saxophone that that you know that is admi- admirable as well yeah mm. so for me I, I enjoy working on all the saxophones and the lugging around not so much but yeah but playing them or it, it, it's really a treat you know you get to play the high voices the low voices you know you're exploiting the whole range of possibilities that the saxophone gives and saxophones give yeah mm, definitely i mean uh <laughs> you are usually the uh, the one that is bringing the most amount of gear <laughs> to our rehearsals or performances yeah you have um yeah one one case on your back, you're dragging something else, you're carrying another bag with you. So yeah, it looks not so fun when you're <laughs> traveling around, but yeah, it's a it's a treat for for all of us uh, in the quartet, definitely, to to have that kind of versatility mm. in the group. Yeah. So yeah, I also find that the, the concept of having the audience up on stage is quite interesting mm. because it's uh you're kind of flipping the table a little bit, isn't it? Because exactly. as yeah, as performers we um, when audience come in, they are kind of comfortable, yes. right? When they sit in the audience seat and then they are just watching you mm. play or watching you perform or trying to understand the music or trying to enjoy the music. But the moment you say, uh, I would like to invite you on the stage, <laughs> all of a sudden, I think people get a little bit nervous. Exactly. And, yeah. And, and slightly uneasy. Yeah. 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 But, uh, the, but the energy of the performance is great though. I think, you know, being so close to the performance and especially with, say, like the first piece uh, that you did with the sob where you sort of like go around mm-hmm. the audience mm-hmm. a little bit. Yeah, you kind of with in and out of the audience. And of course, uh, for those of you who are not at a recital, to just paint this kind of mental image for you, um, this, the chairs are not set up in standard rows. Right, <laughs> they are set up in like blocks of three facing different directions. Yes, exactly right. Yeah. I don't want people to imagine like there's just like maybe two or like four rows of chairs, and you're just sort of like walking from one at like the beginning of the row to the end of the row, and <laughs> and coming back. <laughs> but you actually there's a um some kind of like um space and route for the movement to be random. Exactly. Yeah, and there are candles as well. Mm, little yeah. electronic candles so yeah, no they, fire they will never burn out yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, they, fire <laughs> yeah, they, uh, yeah I mean what what could go wrong you know fire wooden floor <laughs> you know yeah yeah. don't see an, anything going wrong there at yeah. all right um, but yeah so that, that was great and I think it was really a nice introduction I think uh, you did a really fantastic job uh, that evening uh, introducing uh, yourself back to uh, Singapore again and it kind of changes the way, not just for saxophonists, I think for other instrumentalists like myself, going to that recital to think about the possibilities of performances, but we try to engage the audience as much as possible. I'm really, really glad to hear. Yeah, actually, a little bit of inspiration from that as well. Like, I knew my parents were going to be in the audience. So, you know, mm. like, having been in the audience myself, and, you know, listening to, like, a whole day of, like, contemporary music or, like, new music, it, it, it gets a bit, you know, heavy. So I wanted to, you know, put people out of their comfort zones, exactly what you said. And, you know, mm. just, you know, take this opportunity to just, you know, be, like, you know, take them on a journey, like, a, through, through the four instruments. Yeah. yeah. So, I, you know, I was envisioning, like, my parents and how they would, enjoy or how they would experience this and I wanted something special for them and so mm. it, it came became like that yeah 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 I think and I think it worked pretty well and of course uh, not to forget the intrusion as well where the whole room was completely dark mm. and we were flashing like that alphabets on the walls and stuff like that yeah. yeah and I think all this really adds to the performance of course people would o- always argue isn't it like <laughs> oh then if you're doing this then it takes away from the music yeah. and and all that kind of stuff but I mean at the end of the day you do you you do what you want and you get people talking that, as well you know I, I, yeah. I love it yeah when people you know start to discuss if it's okay if it's not you know yeah these mm. discussions yeah I cherish very very much yeah 
and therefore, you know, the, the word ruckus yeah, there we go. <laughs> uh, is, is quite apt, isn't it? Perfect. You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you, you do something that is out of the norm and then you rub a few feathers and then people talk about it, whether they like it or not. Yes. Yeah, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, cool. And of course, now this last couple of months, uh, you have received a new teaching position down at the Nanyang Academy of Fine Arts. Yeah. Congratulations Thank on that uh, appointment. Thank you. Yeah, so why don't you just start off with sharing with us some of the things that you're doing at the Academy. Congratulations to you too, Vincent. I think it has been a journey, you know, where, where we both have this start into something new together. Yes. It's pretty interesting, yes. no? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think this is going to be quite interesting because I think we both have very different experiences when we're studying overseas. And I think this is going to be like um, uh, an interesting conversation. Mm. But yeah, tell us, uh, what do you do at the uh, Academy for now first? So right now I have uh, two really amazing and very motivated, hardworking students at NAFA. So a little shout out to Xavier and Afan. And I'm also teaching the weekly saxophone ensemble class. Yeah, mm. that, that's what I have been doing at NAFA. Yeah, and this uh, ensemble class is the whole department, isn't it? Yes, all the saxophones. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So now uh, the term at the school is coming to an end. So how has the last 14 weeks been for you working with your new students? It is really a treat to be teaching at NAFA. It feels just yesterday that I was in that position of a student. Yeah, mm. but my teaching philosophy has been changing throughout the years. I think despite my short French background, I really believe that there isn't one way to do things. So I am constantly on the go thinking about my students, what they need, how they can best benefit from what I can offer to them. And I also mm. am a very, very strong advocate of chamber music. So I've been trying to incorporate this into my teaching. So actually both my students are playing in a duo. And yeah, mm. it, it, it's been amazing seeing them grow as students. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and growing up as well, my mom is a teacher. So mm -hmm. you know, I actually always thought that I didn't want to go into teaching because I always saw her marking late into the night. <laughs> <laughs> but surprisingly, I've been enjoying the journey. Yeah, thank God our <laughs> line of teaching doesn't require any sort of marking, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I agree with you. You know, uh, you bring up some pretty good points there. Similarly for me, it's been quite surreal and I do get what you're saying that not too long ago, we were like students at the university and now the, the tables have turned. We are now uh, having the ability to impact a, a student's life, yes. whether we like it or not, <laughs> right? You know, uh, as a teacher, are there any things that you try to instill in your students that you think is beneficial for their musical and personal growth? Hard work is something that is very, very important, I feel but also smart mm. hard work. Um, chamber music skills, I really, really believe in chamber music skills, and you know all the technical stuff, but I also yeah. really see the importance of having qualities such as being open-minded, um, being sociable, being kind to others, genuinely caring mm. for others, and also having the ability to talk to different kind of people, working and collaborating with them as well. So like, I, yeah. through, through this 14, not even 14 weeks, 12 weeks, I, I have been mm. like, you know, subtly trying to, you know, like you should collaborate with this person, you should uh you know, think think uh outside the box. Like practice doesn't have to be, you know, just slow to fast. Mm. So yeah. yeah, trying to give them different perspectives into, you know, how this life could be. I mean like even as musicians we have this kind of portfolio careers, right? So there's mm. not just one track of doing things, there's you know, a whole a whole range. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think you know, we should always encourage students to try to set themselves apart exactly. from other people and even to a certain extent from us because you don't want everybody to be doing the same thing. Mm. And to find, right? you know, what interests them, their own paths, yeah. Yeah, because if everyone is doing the same thing, then it's essentially a race down to the bottom, isn't mm. it? Exactly. Right? If uh, 10% or 10 uh, musicians offer the exact same thing. It is usually the cheapest person that mm. gets the job. 
And that's a little bit sad. And we don't really want things to uh, spiral out to this um, uh, sort of level, right? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, so things like hard work, things like um, uh, being open-minded, trying something new, collaborating with other people. How much of this is shaped by your experience overseas? Wow, so, so much. Um, yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I'm successful, but yeah, I think I had my little successes here and there. Um, and I, you know, it doesn't come out of thin air. So since I left Singapore, I have been pushing myself extra, extra hard. And I'm sure yeah. a lot of my classmates in whichever city can testify to this. I am often seen at the practice rooms. I was extra blessed with the 24-hour one that we had in Melbourne, in the Melbourne Singaporean. Uh-huh. So I have like countless stories you cannot imagine. Some really special ones. <laughs> you know, uh, bonding with people over, the, you know, at the practice rooms over conversations, just like you and I do. Yeah. So back when the practice rooms were 24 hours available to you, how much were you practicing? Melbourne, I was talking about five to six hours. Actually, my teacher in, in my second year, he set me this challenge of, practicing for 100 days straight and then he would take me out for a nice meal. So I remember getting to about 100 days and then, mm-hmm. you know, it became this routine and it was so a part of me that I took it to 150 days. Then I finally decided right. to give myself a break. So I went for the lunch with him. It was a super nice day. And then I did mm. another 100 days. Yeah, it was yeah very, very, very productive. Nice. Cons- consecutive. Uh, 150 consecutive days of practicing. No breaks. No Sunday offs. <laughs> wow and it's this uh, usually your normal five to six hours were there days that it was just like an hour or two or I think the lowest I clocked was an hour and a half okay yeah but still pretty good effort I say 150 <laughs> days yeah how many yeah, hours is that <laughs> yeah lots of hours lots of hours yeah yeah I, I personally understand the impact that a uh, principal studies teacher has on a student mm. and how um, this relationship can very quickly turn sour and it can pretty much ruin the experience or the student's experience studying in the school for the next few years. Mm. I feel like I know this story from you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so, I, you know, for me, it's just like I don't want to be that person mm. that is... Um, assuming things of the student uh, as if they turn up not being extra prepared that you jump into the conclusion that it is just purely a lack of practice and nothing else. Of course, sometimes it is the lack of practice but it's always not nice to assume and to take our you know personal emotions and unleash them on the students. Mm. Do you try and get the students? Of course, uh, b- all uh, my students and yours, they are all just starting out in this music education or in their music education. Yeah. Uh, do you, um, how important do you think it is for them to tell you what they would like to achieve and how they would like to shape their career in order for you to help them get there to where they want to be? We already had this conversation actually. I think it's super, super important to know mm. like what kind of direction they want to take as well. I mean, it, it, it will always change. I mean, I know mine has changed over the years. And yeah. you know, like, then you have a similar kind of mindset to your student and you understand as well from their perspective why they do the things they do, you know? Mm. So, yeah, I think I think it's a, a communication. Uh, I mean, it's very important to have this communication between you and the student. From, mm, from the get-go yeah. of things, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, because uh, it's also, it's one thing to model our teaching to find what we can incorporate for the student mm. th- so that they understand or to develop things that they need to develop. But it's also a completely different thing mm. for them to come to you and say that, oh, uh, actually, I have interest in this particular genre of music mm. and I would like really like to go into this quite deeply and how we can just try to point them to the right direction and equip them with the right skill sets to do so exactly. isn't it yes yeah so yeah so for example if they would like to say um, focus on baroque music 
for the uh, on the saxophone <laughs> and you just want to be like the person that plays the best uh, baroque um, transcriptions on the saxophone i mean you can be that mm. it's not easy i mean all sorts of uh, specialization is not easy mm. but then you know we can point them towards the right direction to achieve that definitely definitely yeah yeah so you know they are now uh, students are now preparing for their exams and the assessments are coming. So uh, to all of the students at NAFA, uh, especially the first years, good luck because it's your first technical exam in school. <laughs> so it can be a little bit intimidating, but don't fear, prepare well and go and play well. All yeah. the best, guys. Yeah, so, okay. And you've also uh, mentioned quite a, quite a bit about chamber music and your love for chamber music yeah. and you enjoy collaborative works. Very, very much so, yeah. What are some of the your personal memorable collaborations over the years in Singapore and out of Singapore? And how would you define a meaningful collaboration? Hmm. I have to mention two of the people that have really inspired me to take this direction of, you know, collaborations. And... This, these were people early in my studies of music that, you know, mm. they, they have been doing like all sorts of crazy things right from the start. And yeah, it, it's really inspired me. So small shout out to Tay and Josh, Tay Zhang and Josh. They're both saxophonists. And mm. uh, yeah, they, they, I still really, really look up to them today. So Kay is right. currently living in Zurich, working with different groups. And what, the one that most inspired me is her trio, Collective International Totem. And I thought I would read you a little excerpt from your bio. Okay. KIT, K-I-T, is a Zurich-based blank made up of varied constellations composed of composers, poets, programmers, improvisers, architects, soundtrackers, and blank, who mm. utilize what they don't know, playing together with everything around them, making their environment striking. Their games consist in tracking, recording, interpreting, and re-enchanting the links between them and those who cannot be seen, what cannot be heard, transcribed by acoustic, electronic, and self-made instruments. Yeah, so if you, if you ever get a chance to see their performances, it is really incredible what they do. Like, I go into mm. these performances, you know, like with an open mind, and I come out, like, not knowing what I've seen. You know, and this creates, like, a huge, 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 like, space for discussion. And like, you know, yeah, yeah. I, I, mm. I am so inspired. And Josh, mm. <laughs> Josh, I met uh, Joshua Hyde. I met him before yeah. I even started my musical studies. So this was during the very, very first Singapore Saxophone Symposium in 2011. He okay. One of the most hardworking, kind and inspiring people that I've met over the years. So mm. the quotes that I've been trying to weave and breathe of his are, number one, be serious about your art form and playing music. No one can do the hard work for you. And number two, you have to believe in you. The latter mm. is one that I've found myself constantly forgetting to do, but I think it's so important. Yeah. Hey, e- easier said than done. I you know, know right? Um, th- these sort of things, uh, especially in our industry, isn't it? Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Yeah, I was just talking about <laughs> imposter syndrome in the last episode, but yeah, it happens all the time. Very that we once we get onto something, we almost have to tell ourselves that wait, 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 let's not get carried away, because who the hell are we, mm. right? Then we take ourselves down a few pegs and be like, yeah, you know, I'm not that special, or what I'm maybe my concepts are not that special, mm. but yeah, but you know, uh, at the end of the day. I think part of believing in yourself also means that you don't let these thoughts stop you from taking action to actually doing something. 10 out of 10 advice, everybody. Please listen right. to me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So uh, you've, you, yeah, you kind of like share with us how this kind of germ of how you got into this idea of like wanting to collaborate and how inspiring things can be, right? Exactly. So uh, talk about some of like your own projects that you felt that was quite interesting and quite special over the years. I will like to share with you my very first one. So this was in 2015 when I first finished my Bachelor of Music and came back to Singapore. 
So this was exactly mm-hmm. when Belle and I started working together. Belle is the dancer that I live and work with right now. It was mm. for my debut recital back in Singapore after graduating. I did a performance artwork from the Fluxus Performance Workbook. Not sure you know about this workbook, uh, Vincent. Yeah. Yeah. So mm. I I did one of these performance art things. It was mm. wow, crazy. Anyway, I collaborated with five dancers, a pianist, and a harpist in this one recital. Uh, I was at the arts house. Yep. I wanted to make classical music accessible for audiences in Singapore. So perhaps with my younger days doing some ballet, it really inspired this collaboration. I mm. remember working with Bell. It was a very, very steep learning curve for me. Because the creative work of dancers are so, so different from us musicians. You know, they spend mm. a lot of time together, experimenting, choreographing, trying out different moves. And then, you know, rehearsing, they always have to be together. Whereas for us yeah. musicians, you know, we just practice our parts, then we come together and put it together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's a very, very different process. Uh, mm. So for me, actually, I found it a little frustrating, you know, having to play the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Just, you know, yeah. just for them to find the right steps and, you know, rehearsing. Mm. Yeah, but, yeah. wow, I got so much from this recital. It, you know, it, it's the genesis of me and Val. Yeah. And then I, another very memorable collaboration was during my master's degree in Amsterdam. So apart from my performance side of things, my master profile was actually Creative Performance Lab, or CPL in short. So this, okay. this little subject or profile was actually there to help uh, the students develop and perform interdisciplinary productions. So during my mm. time there, I was working with scenographers, dancer, theatre directors, film directors, dramaturgs, composers, you know, the, the list goes on. And right. these people that the school engaged, they were all already professionals in their scene. So it was really, really eye-opening and really remarkable working with them. Yeah, talking mm. to them, you know, drawing inspiration from the, 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 the work that they are doing. And just, you know, learning, being intellectually curious, you know, consciously and unconsciously. Yeah, it's incredible. Yeah, yeah I think that's mm. really, really meaningful for me. Mm. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And now, nowadays, do you still, like, actively try to seek out these uh, collaborations? Because, of obviously, priority, um, I would say, I wouldn't say priorities are different, but, um, uh, in terms of the amount of time that we have, um, it's not as much as, say, we're, when we were in school, right? We okay. have to uh, work and teach and, you know, uh, attend things in our personal life. So, yeah, do you still try to seek this out? And do you feel that um, it is really about finding that few really good um, collaborations and relationship and building on that? I think not so actively seeking them out, but I have mm. like some passion projects that are you know some things that I've like want been wanting to do, and mm. hopefully will realize with the people that I need to come. Yeah. With with a lot of the the collaborations and the, the projects that you've mentioned, right? Most of them seems to be engaging the the audience at a, a deeper level mm. and that is like i think so far none of the things that you mentioned is about mass audience mass appeal appealing to the general public none of that stuff but uh, it's about making our work I, mean, I think making our work accessible mm. or more digestible is different from playing things that pleases the audience i think these are two separate things and should we simplify our art? That means to, to kind of water it down. Yeah. Say, for example, like KIT. So you, uh, you mentioned them just now. And you know from, from their profile, it sounds like what they're doing is um, something that is large, something that is complex, mm. something that you know requires your uh, the active um, sort of uh, mental engagement of the audience to truly try to find what this work means to them. Mm. Whereas, for example, we can also 
you know, play pop tunes and, and things like that, you know, as compared to doing something that, you know, is a bit more complex, we start to do something that's simpler and easier to understand. I mean, we've all done it, right? But it's not something, mm. it's not something that would be my idea. It's someone else's mm. idea that I would be fulfilling for them. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. definitely. So, so yeah. this is, it doesn't interest me so much. Mm. This, these ideas, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I think, you know, um, this, this idea of meaningful collaboration and not just collaboration is quite important mm. because, you know, you can collaborate with uh, many different types of people and do many different things. Yes. But something that is meaningful, that is, you know, I, I, I'm just not a fan of like simplifying things. Neither am I, yeah. Yeah, you know, I think we have this ability to do something that is remarkable. Mm. Um, and we should try our best to do that and challenge the audience a little bit, you know. And if, yeah, I don't know. Um, I completely agree with you, yeah. Yeah, and not appeal just to the masses mm. or just for the the likes or just for the subscription, right? Mm. You want people who are truly invested in what you're doing yes. and would like to come on this journey with you. Mm. I must say though that yeah. I have been teaching some people to play Callous Whisper. <laughs> Does yeah. that count? But I mean, yeah, but you know, that is like you are f- providing a, a service, right? Yes. yes. In, in in a way, you are solving their problem. Yes. They come to you with a problem, you solve the problem, but yes. that is the basis of the work. Mm. But when, when we create, we when we try to enrich other people's lives, that is what we are doing. Mm-hmm. Yes teaching uh, people to play Callous Whispers. Nothing wrong with that if that's the basis of the work, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, but it's about if it's about creation, why don't we create something that is, you know, more original, more complex and Personal yeah, more interesting. As well, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. So I've been rambling a little bit. I apologize for that. Uh, <laughs> so what I've said sort of segue nicely into the next topic, which is, you know, sometimes whatever I've said that, you know, we must create something that's complex, something that is different or interesting, uh, can be seen as like being self-absorbed. Right? And that we are creating a product that nobody appreciates or people don't really appreciate. So, you know, in terms of like, for you, when you are deciding on what to do in uh, a project, a recital or uh, whatever it is, how do you um, split this artistic satisfaction for yourself mm-hmm. versus the audience experience? This is really something that I've been struggling with for the longest time. Vincent, you know me. I'm a people pleaser, generally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> I think my approach with this is to really pick and know what I want to play because, you know, it's something that I will be working on or practicing for the next couple of months. So if I don't mm. enjoy the piece, then it's you know going to make my life miserable from there. And then from there, yeah. I like to put a spin on things so the audience can understand the music and experience the music in a way that is relatable to them. And I find that mm. nowadays, especially with full contemporary music programs, it is really our responsibility as musicians to give the audience the knowledge of how to enjoy, how to appreciate mm. You know what kind, what what to listen out for, or what does the music represent, or or you yeah. know even with uh like our do not send an upgrade and we not to listen for anything uh, specific and just to experience it, yeah. Mm. Maybe, yeah. Maybe I can share a mm. little story of one of the self-absorbed inverted commas things that I did. <laughs> of course, of course, it's your time. So you can say whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So when I was doing my masters in Amsterdam. I actually found out that my mom has cancer. Okay. So the day I found out, I was in shambles. La. I was in a mm. practice room when my dad rang me to tell the news. My mom was beside him, of course. So they already had information about what's to come, you know, the, the, the next, what is coming up next, uh, what appointments to go to. So mm. I know that, you know, they, they already knew for a while. And yeah, wow. Holding back the tears in that very phone call was very, very hard. I mm. tried my best to care and ask, you know, like, how, how is mom dealing with the news? How, how is she feeling? Yeah. And after putting down the phone with them, 
though I, I was at the practice floor, there was a lot of noise, I felt everything become silent around me. I mm. didn't know what to feel. I didn't know how to feel. I just, you know, kept practicing, not really coming to terms with what I had found, just found out. Right. Yeah. And then it all hit me and I was, you know, pouring, bawling, mm. well, forcing myself right. to continue playing and practicing. I don't know what I was doing at the time as well. Mm. But yeah. you're trying to escape in a way. Exactly. At, at that moment anyway, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, and then I, you know, I get up myself, I was okay. But a couple of minutes again, then the tears will start falling. So a good friend of mine, mm. Fleur, she came to, uh, past by my room and, you know, I thought I would be okay, you know, put on a brave front in front of people as I usually do. But this was mm. more than that. I don't think I've cried so hard in my life before. Yeah, it's really, really mm. difficult being so far away from home in situations like that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then I was mm. right in the midst of brainstorming for a project that I was doing with my colleagues in CPL, which was a master profile that I was doing. And mm-hmm. this actually really, really helped me process the pain. There was a homework that we had to do to bring in some material that inspires us, touches us, or you know something that we feel strongly towards. So mm. I wrote down this story of like finding out about my mum, and uh, we used it for mm. the performance. So every time we rehearsed this scene, I was distraught. It was super hard, my gosh. Yeah. yeah. I was like, wow, yeah. But I think, you know, mm. through it all, it really helped process the emotions and feelings that were going through my body. Like, normally I would just suppress, compartmentalize, forget it. Mm. Yeah, but because yeah. I was using it in a piece, I really had to face things. I must say it was very selfish of me to use my mom's story. But I also mm. found it a huge relief and also some joy to be able to share this with my colleagues and also with the audiences later on. In the performance, yeah, the, the audience found it to be a really touching and powerful scene from the comments mm. that I received later. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, and I think it's because it's so raw, isn't yes. it? Because this is like coming in, pouring out from the heart. Yes. Because this is a, a real life uh, event that has just happened to you. Yeah, and I, I think audience members and people do appreciate um, things like that. Mm. Yeah, in a sense that this is genuine work. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. that is you. Yeah, it's not uh, pretentious. Mm. Yeah, it's real. It's relatable. Yeah. And I think yeah, like like you said, you know, at the end of the day, what we want to do with our work is so that people can just understand us a little bit. Mm. Yeah. Right. What we are trying to say, who we are as artists, uh, why we do what we do, and all that kind of stuff. Hopefully, people will understand. This is the reason why we are doing it. Um, and hopefully it's not not because we want to get rich and famous. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, uh, if by doing honest work we get rich and famous, I'm not going to complain. But yeah, yeah, that should not be the driving force of everything, okay, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I find it so beautiful that you know this art form of music. You know, it opens up opportunities for people to talk about these painful emotions and situations and whatnot. Yeah, so like you know, we can always approach taboo topics through music and you know maybe people will start talking about it more and you know it's less of a taboo yeah mm. yeah definitely yeah and yeah I think definitely I th- you know in terms of uh, contemporary music I think mm. also over the last couple of like the last year mm. I think there has been a rise in the number of contemporary works that has been presented mm. in Singapore uh, either by um, living composers or by Singaporean composers, but more and more arts groups are playing original compositions and new works, which is something that's really exciting. Mm. And hopefully, in, in the years to come, this would then become something that is not so special anymore, that we are all doing it mm. because, yeah, this is what um, everybody is doing. And this is what like music is about, mm. right? Creating something new. Uh, not that the old stuff is bad, uh, we can still play the old stuff, but there should be always like a part of uh, some kind of project that we are championing newer stuff and newer music. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because um, the reason why I ask you about this, um, this question regarding our own satisfaction versus um, catering for the audience is that 
I agree that this is a very difficult um, balance to strike. Mm. And I, I happened to just come across some uh, something that I read recently, um, which says that I think in the 40s or the th- uh, or is it the 1920s, okay. there was an increase in the number of um, uh, plane crashes in the uh, US military. Wow. So somebody was um, being appointed to investigate this issue mm. about why this problem is happening. So uh, what the researcher did was he took the, the height and he created a seat and the spacing in the uh, pilot cockpit to be the average size of uh, all the pilots. Okay. Right? And turns out none of the pilots fit that seat. Oh, gosh. <laughs> right? So that th- this idea of having an average or having a product that everybody is going to like mm. don't exist. And that in fact, of, in fact, that if we shouldn't put in that much effort into putting out something that everyone will like, mm. but it's more important that we put effort in to create something that is original. That we believe in, yeah. And honest. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Exactly, right. But of course, the, the line is, is being blurred that we cannot be doing things that is for the sake of it, mm. but something that, you know, mm. uh, would somehow improve and impact other people's life. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah. Uh, now, m- moving on to the next topic, right, about this. I mean, we are, we're going to talk a lot about collaborations, uh, how we think about the work that we do, the things that we create. And then now that, um, uh, for me, a huge part of my uh, income at the moment revolves around uh, teaching yes. at different levels and because you know I, I'm starting to feel like it's very difficult to strike a balance between mm. the my teaching schedule versus my practice schedule versus the creative schedule okay so yeah so I think maybe we can put the, the creative and practice schedule together at the same time because you are trying to create something or you're practicing something Mm-mm-mm. um yeah and i i feel like right now maybe it's uh i have to shift the balance a little bit for myself okay yeah that perhaps i need to or i would find a little bit more more joy and happiness <laughs> in uh going towards like having more time yeah. to be either doing a podcast or um practicing uh, new music for the quartet and mm-hmm. and whatnot, right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, how does this have an impact on you? That, uh, this balance between teaching and create uh, the the creative work is it difficult for you to strike a balance now that everything is basically full on again? Mm, I actually do a lot of teaching, especially in this past month. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but I feel like I haven't been less creative because of it. Mm. Yeah, I am always in awe of the an exchange of energy between people. Yeah, so right. like even when I'm teaching, you know, I am constantly being energized by my students, and I'm sure they feel the same. So they mm. often bring with me a lot of energy. I'm sure you know, mostly filled by <laughs> coffee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> insane amount of espressos in a day. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. How much coffee mm. there is in me? Probably more than yeah. water. <laughs> exactly yeah so with, with students right I have this one student that you know came to me wanting to learn the saxophone because he wants to feel the vibrations in his body that he is otherwise missing from learning to play the guitar and piano you know I was oh. in shock and in awe I have never looked at you know learning the saxophone like that mm. yeah so yeah. you know now the, the kind of resonance right exactly, yeah. yeah so he, he, yeah. he doesn't he is tone deaf, I think. He, he is tone deaf. Yeah, so okay. like the lingo that I use is very, very different as well. Because like, like, you know, mm. I'm trying to feel the vibrations. And uh, he is a software engineer, so I try to you know, bring it to that a little bit as well with the, the lingo of things, of teaching. Yeah. That's interesting. That's really interesting. Okay. Yeah, I, I really yeah. never looked at uh, like, you know, playing the text one in that kind of light. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, it's okay. Can you just give me some examples of this? Like, say, say for example, how would you approach like the first couple of minutes of the lesson? 
the first couple oh. of minutes, I didn't know what I was getting myself into, honestly. <laughs> Yeah. Right, right. So yeah. right, right now we're focusing a lot of vibrations. You know, like lower sounds have uh, lower vibrations. Mm. So like I would get him to sing, even though it's not the right pitch, but just to feel that vibration and to put his hand, you know, on the throat, gently, of course. Yeah, and to to feel, yeah. you know, how how it's vibrating. So it's feeling more than hearing. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Very interesting. I I don't know how I would use this in a performance, but I would mm. like to at some point. You know, experiencing vibrations that are yeah. how linking it to earthquakes and mm. yeah, yeah, because it's a different um, kind of uh, sensory exactly sort of sensation, exactly. isn't it? it? Yeah, it's a completely different kind of sensation when you talk about like oh, it's not about moving air anymore. Mm. It's not about like moving your fingers at the right time, but mm. the vibration that you feel from each of the notes. Exactly. Mm, that's yeah, yeah, that's cool. Isn't- yeah. We have some beautiful moments together and mm. mostly not so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like very, very right. interesting student. Yeah. I, I mm. each lesson is a challenge for me, but I love it. Yeah. Okay. And does the student perceive like when you demonstrate on your instrument, yeah. does the student perceive your sound as like a feeling of vibrations as well? Rather than pitch? I haven't quite gotten there yet. Okay. Yeah, because like you know, sometimes it's even tricky to explain high and low. Mm. It, yeah. So like the nuances and with saxophone, it's a lot of voicing involved. So you really need to mm. hear the pitch before you play something. If not, it splits or it becomes really ugly. So yeah. All right. Hey, but we recently saw a meme. It says that saxophone is easy. If <laughs> you. <laughs> 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 Just put your fingers down <laughs> yeah. and blow. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone, please try yeah. saxophone. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, I, I just, I was waiting right in the whole last like fifty minutes or so to find the perfect time to get this in. But yeah, now no that's way. done. We can. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, please, please carry on with your your story. Yeah. That uh, another student of mine. Uh, I have a mm. second secondary three girl. Yeah. Sex me. Mm. The other day, I was, you know, usually when I go to these lessons with uh, band kids, I always ask them, how are you? And and they are usually, you know, really stumped by this how are you question. It's not in our Asian <laughs> oh, yeah, culture at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So recently, she's been opening up to me a little. And she actually told me she's learning to code. It's a sex three girl. Uh. I was okay. so shocked. Because, you know, I have always wanted to teach myself to code. But I've never gotten out down to it. And she knew like right. I mean knowledge like Python, CFS, Java. Wow. I, right. you know, this inspires me as well. I will mm-hmm. really, really want to get into coding now that I know yeah. my secretary student can code. Anyone can right, do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Uh yeah, so yeah. like you know, different people that I meet along meet along the way have really, really inspired me. You know, grab drivers that I hang out with, hang out with. Every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in, in that brief <laughs> moment of yeah, your travels. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, karaoke I, session <laughs> and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. You know, there was one yeah. grab driver that I was almost in tears with at the end of the journey. He told me he, he had this job and um, he was... It, it, uh, the company was based in Iraq or Iran, I don't quite remember. And so, like, mm. the week that uh, he was meant to go back to Iraq or Iran, some spiritual kind of calling told him, please don't go, you know, you're going to be in trouble if you go. So he, you know, he really took that and he quit his job in that week just because of a calling. I, I don't know what uh, religion this is. And mm. he didn't go. So the colleagues that went, they all died. It was it was a bombing. Wow. Yeah. And, you know, well, we really Crazy. had a moment. I. I don't know how these grab drivers open up to me like that. You know, I hear mm. about all these stories and like, wow. I don't know, I feel a little bit burdened, but also, like, they trust mm. me with their stories. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, that that is quite something. Yeah. That is, wow. Yeah, I mean, it, it, how, how do you react to, to something like that when they, when they, when they tell you I, like this face to face? I couldn't speak for a while though. Mm. Or, or, you know, just trying to understand and digest, and mm. yeah, I don't. I don't think this yeah. is a story he tells just anyone. 
Mm. It, it was really dark, really heavy. Definitely. Yeah. So, yeah. But, I, I mean, you know, um, I'm quite glad that you are still, um, no, you're still, but you are so energized about uh, the process of teaching. And I also want to clarify that I, I not that I'm, I, I love teaching. I love, uh, like, you, like yourself, I love interacting with new people. I love interacting mm. with my students and, and all that kind of good stuff. But it's the other things that I'm not so interested in and can be asked. Mm. The, yeah, the, the administrative side of things, um, the, the disrespect that comes mm. with um, being a freelancer uh, when, you, when you work with this sort of agencies, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, this is basically uh, definitely a story for another day. I don't want to get too deep into this, but yeah. The, the act of teaching has no problems at all, mm. but it's all the other things that come with it that yeah. sometimes makes it a bit like, mm. I think yeah, I just forget these bad things and just focus on the positive, you know. <laughs> and good on you. Good on you. <laughs> I mean, like my coping yeah. mechanism somehow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, if it doesn't weigh you down, you know, mm. then it's not really a problem. Yeah, right? yeah. So it's all good. Yeah. So yeah, time is flying. We are uh, reaching to our one hour mark. Wow. One last question for you. And the most important question, because I don't think I've gotten an answer out of you. What do you face play? Face to face before. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> yeah, the ever so important question, right? The 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 flute, isn't oh, it? So you know me so well. Yeah. <laughs> you know I have, I have the wise man, it fits the flute. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So now you can, yeah, you can be many things. Yeah. So the million dollar question is that if you wake up tomorrow and you found out that you can't play the saxophone anymore, what would you do? <laughs> oh, cry, die, fail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I put this question in because I know that this is a difficult question for you. And... Yeah, and it's it's a different question because sometimes we talk about this that oh, if you didn't do music, oh. what would you be doing? But that's a different question. So what I'm asking now is that you wake up and for some reason you can't play anymore. Um, let's say your your fingers don't work or yeah, something is not working that is critical to operating the the instrument is not working, right? Um, what would your next step of action be? Um, after, you, after you've after you cried and all these things, of course, right? <laughs> <laughs> so one of my coping mechanisms is actually escapism. I'm sure you already know. But here I am answering this. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, honestly, I would be super, super lost. Uh, practically, mm. I think I would like to continue teaching even though playing is not possible. Then I would, mm. you know, just have to find a new normal of teaching for me. Talk about this new normal. Yeah. Um, I would also be on the side, you know, experimenting around again, trying new things, then reevaluating if, you know, if these are things that I would do professionally. I hope that I would have enough savings to <laughs> last me this <laughs> experimental <laughs> creative period. Yeah. Right, right. I think yeah. you asked me this question because I told you about the circuit breaker, right? Uh yeah yeah kind of yeah yeah, uh, uh, yeah because I I mean actually the the most uh or the main reason why I asked you this question is because um you've expressed to me uh so strongly and so clearly your love for playing the saxophone and the instrument and music and all these things mm. right which is which I think is really really fantastic um but of course we know this whole concept of if you're in very deep mm. when it's gone it also hurts the same uh, amount you know it, it's equally bad yeah so um yeah so i'm just thinking like you know would you fancy things like because you can you can still be creative mm. you can still do a lot of things that is yeah. regarded <laughs> to, to performance yeah um yeah but it's uh, the idea of like Without the saxophone, yeah. right? Of course, we, we lose uh, or the instrument of our choice. We lose uh, a critical tool of um, the form of our expression. But what we don't lose is also the sharpness of our mind mm. and the, the creativity that is instilled like, into us um, with our experiences yeah. and, 
and our knowledge and, and all these kind of things. Yeah. 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 So, yeah. W- would you, um, if, would you continue to stay in like this creative industry? Would you like slowly pivot into another art form? Of course, you might continue to teach, but would you like, is there any alternative art form that like quite interests you, like painting or uh, theater hmm. or whatnot? Actually, I think I could imagine myself, you know, being creative and just creating a whole new job or art form to just suit my personality, my lifestyle. And mm. I think I think I'm you know, I'm always influenced by the people around me and inspired, influenced. Uh yeah. So I, I don't know who I will meet meet at that time and you know, what what things might be possible. I could be a poet, I could be a writer. I cannot mm. say for sure. But yeah. I think definitely it would still be in the creative industry. Mm. Yeah, I cannot yeah. imagine myself in a like at a desk job. No, no way. I'd rather mm. die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I think we, once you get into the the swing of um, being creative and yeah. creating things, uh, to tell yourself that you have to return to become a cock in a machine, no uh, it's it's hard to take. Mm. I think it's it's really quite difficult uh, unless you really have. Um, such a bad experience <laughs> but I think usually if you are um, uh, having that uh, resolve and the uh, courage to put your work out there mm. yeah you just need to tell yourself that your work is just going to get better mm. and that if you continuously put your work out there it's better than the people who subscribe later because at a later point the work is going to be better exactly yeah right so f- yeah even if you look at our own progress if first year of university versus now or first year of college as compared to now my playing is largely different for sure yeah right yeah and if you were a follower when I was in the first year versus you were a follower that just subscribed to mm-hmm. let's say the, the work that I do now right now immediately you receive a higher quality and you don't it's just that you're not with me through this uh, <laughs> journey right yeah of yeah. like yeah trying to uh, become that one percent better every day yeah yeah so because uh, i've listened to a podcast a couple of weeks ago so it's this american uh, french horn player mm. called uh, marty hackelman okay so he is a, a very uh, well-known famous french horn player uh Principal Horn at the National Symphony for a few years, played with uh, great brass quintets like Canadian Brass, Empire Brass. So uh, a really, really established horn player. Um, he woke up one day with dystonia. So he, yeah, so he was, he just woke up and then he realized that he couldn't play the horn. But he, he said that he had an inkling that it was coming. So there were traces of it mm. leading up to like the total collapse of the playing, right? So, um, turns out that he is still uh, teaching at a university and he is also a writer now. Wow. Yeah. So, oh. he, he actually, yeah, he, he started writing poems when he was a child. Wow. I think or, or in his teens. Yeah. So, when he was like 13 and uh, like between 13 to... Uh, 16 or something like that so there was a collection of like a hundred poems or something like that something incredible so yeah these were things that like he didn't he didn't show anyone else Mm. but now that he couldn't play the horn anymore he started learning a flamenco guitar or flamenco guitar and started like doing writing as well Mm. so it's really it's really quite interesting like we even though the tools change, mm. that we don't lose this edge of like wanting to create, wanting to um, improve ourselves and have some growth, Mm-mm. right? And take on something new. So, yeah, For I think sure. it's, it's all, all quite interesting. Yeah. And I'm glad that you didn't say that if I can't play the saxophone, then the next day I'll enroll into being uh, an insurance agent or a car sales person. <laughs> Ah, if you met me, no way, no <laughs> yeah. way. But but to be honest, not that there's anything wrong with this yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, I could, career choices. I could be a grab driver though. I love talking to people. Yeah. 
yeah. and yeah, you, you know, and yeah, this, sure. th- that's fine. Yeah. yeah wh- whatever it is, right? So uh, all of it are, are legitimate careers and they provide very valuable services to uh, each and every one of us. Mm. Yeah. But it's just whether or not it is our thing. Mm, sure, sure. Right? Whether it, yeah, kind of motivates us or not. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So, uh, time flies. I think uh, hopefully the chat doesn't feel like it's uh, gone on for too long and making you like uh, uncomfortable or things like that. No, enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Your, your laughter after you say you're enjoying it makes me... Mm, not, <laughs> I'm not so sure now. Yeah. But uh, I think it's time for us to wrap this conversation up. Uh, thank you so much for coming on to the show, Mish. And, you know, uh, that this platform will always be open to you if you'd like to speak. Thank you for having me, Vincent. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in as well. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I, I feel this uh, sudden sense of relief <laughs> and exuberance. Energy. <laughs> coming back to me. He's yeah. hitting me now. No, I'm kidding. Good. <laughs> cool yeah and so for all of you listening thank you for staying with us throughout this episode and most importantly thank you for your attention it is very much appreciated and with that we will sign off on this episode of you play a what you have been listening to you play a what hosted by vincent tan if you enjoyed this episode please hit the subscribe button so that you'll be notified when a new episode is posted. Rate and review the podcast and share it with your friends if you feel so inclined. The theme music for the podcast is entitled Midnight Affairs and is composed by Algirdas Matonis and recorded by Vincent Tan. Thank you so much for listening to You Play or What? Until next time. Thank you.